Welcome and thank you for listening to Clear Bible. It is Christmas Eve, and so this year I am recording my sermon. And just so you know, I'm flying with one wing. I had rotator cuff surgery a little less than two weeks ago. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to have to rustle papers and stuff, and, and it, I hope that doesn't distract you. But anyway, thank you for listening. And we are going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Just one verse today. Uh, because it's Christmas. I've had some trouble getting into the Christmas spirit this year. I, As I mentioned, I had surgery a little less than two weeks ago, and it kind of put a damper on things. I'm not feeling great. haven't felt great for the whole two weeks since then. I, I wish I could just sit back and enjoy Christmas, but it, it's kind of kind of rough. And the truth is, as I've aged... Christmas gets harder. You know, we have such wonderful memories of this when we're kids, but uh, the older we get, the the harder it seems to be. And uh, sometimes I even get caught into thinking, now that I'm Chris, now that I'm an adult, Christmas isn't really for me. And you know, it's for the kids. It's for homeless who need help and get the help they need in Christmas. It's it's for people who are you know not very busy or 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 you know, people who uh, you know just someone else. It isn't for me, a middle-aged, responsible adult. But as I've been preparing this week, I've been convicted once more that I am wrong, that, uh, you know, I don't know about presents or the spirit of Christmas, but the meaning of Christmas. You know, I don't know about the feeling, but the meaning of Christmas is for me. It is for you. It is for every person in the world. The central thing that we celebrate at this time of year is the gift of God's presence in our lives. That is for me, not just for kids or others, and it is for you, all of us, all the time. Many centuries ago, uh, centuries even before Jesus was born, uh, Jesus was born. The the prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, described several key components of God's present to us, God's gift to us, which is Jesus Christ. And this is what Isaiah wrote, uh, looking forward to the time when Jesus would come. He said, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The first thing that I want us to consider from this passage is that the Son is born to us and given to us. This is exactly what I was talking about earlier. The meaning of Christmas, whether or not we get the, the feeling of it, the meaning of it is for us, no matter how old or young we are, no matter who we are. God did not come to earth for any other reason than our benefit. It was entirely self-sacrificing. Jesus didn't come for himself or someone, someone else. He came for us. The uh, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard is created with uh, the existentialist movement. But the truth is, he was a very strong Christian, and and what he was all about was applying the Bible to our everyday lives. So, for example, Kierkegaard wrote, "When you read God's word, in everything you read, continually say to yourself, it is I to whom it is speaking. It is about I. It is I about whom." the Bible is speaking. So when we read this passage from Isaiah, the words to us 
are not a mistake. The Son is given to us. That's exactly what Kierkegaard is saying. This Christmas is for you. This gift of Jesus is for you. The Son was born to us, who is given to us. The message is for us. Jesus is not an abstraction that exists sort of, you know, as a, as a theological idea. He's, he doesn't exist for other people. He wasn't given just to Jews. He wasn't given just to spiritual people, to people who have it all together, to people who don't screw up all the time like us. He was given for you and for me. And I want you to believe that. Nobody is beyond this gift. We all need it, and it is given to us all if we would only receive it. And so he is relevant. This gift of the Son is relevant for you and for me. It's a reminder for all who read Isaiah 9-6 that this is relevant. It was relevant in the time of Isaiah, which is 2,500 years ago. It was relevant in the time of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and it's relevant today. continues on. Our situations in our lives, Christmas is for me, it is for you. So what exactly is this relevant message, this child? It starts with saying the government will be on his shoulders. I grew up in a third world country where the government was frequently entertaining but never very efficient. I remember as a, a youth of 12, we, we came to the U.S. on furlough. And uh, we got off the plane in L.A., and then we got onto this freeway, and the, the driver accelerated really fast, right up to 60 miles an hour. And I was just cringing, waiting for us to hit that first big pothole that would just tear the axles apart at that speed. And then we didn't hit it. And I realized we're in America, and there's no potholes in the roads. And I thought, I really did, I thought, we're in America. The government works here. Now, I know as I've grown, I, I think that's kind of humorous that I thought of that. I've become as cynical as an ex-person about the American government, uh, and I, I don't want to be sidetracked on, on this issue, but it has been a very long time since I've had any confidence that the U.S. government is, you know, is that great and, and is that helpful to us. But, you know, for everybody who hates the U.S. government, where else are you going to go, right? You know, it, it's, it's not great anywhere in the world, really. And uh, certainly, you know, New Guinean government was far worse. Truly, no earthly government is perfect. And in fact, most earthly governments are far, far, far from perfect. But Isaiah tells us this is one of the gifts of this child, this son, the one who's given to us, that he is ultimately responsible for everything. The government is on his shoulders the fate of the world does not rest on the shoulders of the American president or any other prime minister or president in the world or any government official or group of government officials. The, the hope for this world is not in our government or any earthly government, but in Jesus Christ. When Pontius Pilate asked Jesus about government, and he was a governor, that was a topic that interested him, obviously, Jesus responded that he, Jesus' kingdom, was not of this world, in other words, Jesus is not interested in establishing physical rulership of the world at this time. He is concerned with the government of our souls and of our eternal future. Whom we pay taxes to is not generally his concern, other than that he does want us to obey the laws of the lands where we live. That's very clear from the Bible. But the Bible says there will come a day when Jesus will return and he will rule the world as a king might. 
That time and the circumstances of that return are not our concern, but we can and should right now put our trust in him as the one who is finally responsible for what happens. The government is on his shoulders. Earthly governments frustrate us sometimes, I know that, but we need to learn to take the longer view and understand that it's on God's shoulders. It's on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about it. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be civically involved. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, ultimately, our trust is in the Lord, not in any earthly system of government. Now, this child, the one who bears the weight of the world on his shoulders, the government on his shoulders, has been given several other significant names. First, he's called Wonderful. Some translations say he's a wonderful counselor, but honestly, those two words in the original language are separated. So, Wonderful stands on its own. And so what that means, what wonderful means, you might say, miracle-full, full of wonder, full of miracles. And Jesus, when he lived on earth, was certainly miracle-full in that sense. Many signs and wonders accompanied his birth. You know, we've been thinking about these things. Uh, we, we do that every year on Christmas Eve at our, our house where we, where we remember the signs and wonders and miracles at his birth. You know, the, the star, the angels, the wise men, and so on. Jesus also did many signs and wonders during his earthly ministry, turning water into wine, healing people, driving out demons, walking on water. But remember, this child is given to us. And because he is given to us, that means his wonder-working power, his miracle-fullness is a part of the gift to us. In other words, he wants to continue to work wonders and miracles in our lives, reconciling us to people that we are separated from, restoring relationships, healing us internally and sometimes externally, and doing other supernatural miracles as well. That is for us. It's not for someone else. It's for us. It's part of the gift of Jesus. Next, it says that he is a counselor. Counselor has two major implications, of course. It can refer to someone who helps another person with inner healing and also someone who gives counsel or advice. Jesus does both. Sometimes we might have struggles in our relationships or a question of how to handle a certain situation. Sometimes uh, in our, our small groups, those of us who meet in, in uh, house churches and stuff, it might be a temptation to try and counsel each other. But Jesus is the real counselor. Our job is simply to connect each other with Jesus and with the counsel of Jesus. He has the wisdom of God, and he stands close by through the Holy Spirit, listening, encouraging, as a good counselor would. If we're honest with ourselves and with him, he can lead us into true inner healing, both directly and through other Christians. And then another connotation of counselor is that he's a comforter. Jesus offers us comfort as a counselor. He's there to love us and support us in time of need. The third one, third out of the five, is Mighty God. I, I don't think that this name of Jesus was put third out of the five by accident. It stood for a reason. It stands alone in the middle of the other four. All the other four point to it. And it is, in fact, wait for it, chiastic structure. Yes, on Christmas Eve, I get to say it. It is chiastic structure. It is. There are five names. And this is the third, this is the main one, this is the highlighted one, mighty God. It's there to show us Jesus is not some benign divine uncle there to just do whatever we ask him. He is God. He's Lord over us. 
there is an allegiance that his existence demands on our lives. Yes, he wants to work miracles for us. Yes, he wants to be a comforting counselor, but he is also our God. He wants to be our ruler. He's not under our control, but he seeks for us to joyfully submit to him. At the heart of the truth about this child is the fact that the God of the universe himself came to be with us. Christmas, this child, it's all about God's presence in our lives and his desire to bring us into a relationship with him and to become the king of our lives. He is mighty God. We can't put him in a box. We can't control him. We have to sit and worship him and recognize that he is God. Everlasting Father. It's interesting, Isaiah is talking about his son being born to us, and then he calls him an everlasting father. And so what does that mean? What, what's that all about? Well, the truth is, when Isaiah wrote Mighty God, he's supporting that claim with the claim that he is Mighty Father. It's a clear prophecy that this Messiah will be God himself in human flesh. Only God in the Old Testament was known as the Everlasting Father. So Isaiah is saying this child who is born to us is more than human. He really is God in flesh. He really is the eternal God coming to the world. Second, fatherhood in those days was very significant because it had to do with inheritance. All that your father owned belonged to you also, even before your father died. And so Isaiah tells us that this eternal father is, is given to us through Jesus, it's the same way. We have the same inheritance that Jesus has with God the Father. That's what Jesus has accomplished for us. Through Jesus, we gain an eternal inheritance that will never fade or spoil, says Peter in 1 Peter. Also, through Jesus, we get the perfection of fatherhood. Fatherhood is essential to the development of children. Absent or negative fathers can derail the person for life. A positive and, positive and present, present father, excuse me, uh, can, can go a long way in helping earthly children. But the promise here is that this Christ child is the perfect father. Some of us have had less than perfect fathers. Some of us have been less than perfect fathers. But here, Jesus says, is the perfect fatherhood. Here, Isaiah says, I should say, is perfect fatherhood in Jesus. He'll be present in our lives, giving us affection and support and protection and guidance like a good father. Prince of Peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. It doesn't just mean absence of war or inner calmness. It means wholeness, wellness, harmony. At the heart of Jesus' peace is reconciliation with God. Without reconciliation with God, all the inner calmness in the world is pointless. Through Jesus, through this child, we can have peace with God and the wellness, wholeness, and harmony that comes with that. Now, I skimmed over something in the beginning. I did it deliberately because I want to end with this. We said this child is given to us, but I skimmed over the fact that it said a son is given. A son is given. In ancient Israel, it was tremendously important for people to have sons that would carry on the family name. Those people saw themselves as belonging to God as a community. They saw themselves as belonging to God in families, tribes, clans, and then as a whole people of God. And so the promise of a son would have meant to these first listeners to Isaiah that they would always have a place in the kingdom of God. That's what a son did for you. The son carried on the family name. It meant that there was 
your name would be continued to be part of the people of God. And so if you didn't have a son, your name would die out and would be remembered no more among the people of God. So this promise of a son means that they will always have a place in the kingdom of God. They will always belong to the people of God if they have this everlasting son. It means the same thing today. The son is Jesus and through him, we will always belong to God eternally. The Apostle John put it this way. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a story, an old story about a man who came home from work one evening. This is back when people read newspapers. And he was tired and worn out and wanted to relax. And he collapsed into his recliner with his newspaper. And his young son came up to him and wanted his attention. It was kind of bugging him. And the father just wasn't able to muster some energy. So he, he happened to see that there was a picture of the world, the whole globe, in his newspaper. And, and so he handed that sheet to the son. And, uh, and then he cut it up into different pieces. And then he gave it to his son. And he said, here's a puzzle for you. See if you can put the world back together. And so he knew this would occupy his boy for a long time since he didn't know his geography very well. And he went back to reading his paper, but just a few minutes later, the, the boy comes back with a puzzle completed, you know, all taped together with everything in the right place. And how did you do that so quickly, says the father, all amazed. And the, the boy said, oh, it's easy. On the back side of that picture of the world was a picture of a child. And as soon as I put the child right, the whole world was right. That's sort of how it is with Jesus. When we get the child right, the whole world is right again. Will you receive the promise of a son this year? Will you receive this child who rules the universe, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace? Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would give us the, the grace to receive Jesus, to receive in him our eternal inheritance, our sonship in you, to be able to entrust him with the future of the whole world and our own personal futures. To be able to uh, allow him to comfort us as a counselor, to worship him as mighty God, to receive him as a perfect and everlasting father. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this tremendous gift. We receive it now with great thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas.